0: Welcome to the American Institute of Stress's official podcast, Finding Contentment. The goal of this podcast is to highlight new information about stress and stress management techniques. While we understand that stress is a very personalized issue and different for everyone, we hope to help you find your own way to contentment.
1: Greetings, everyone. This is your host and executive director of the American Institute of Stress, Will Heckman. I want to thank you all for joining us again today and hopefully for or future podcasts. And those of you that are joining us for the very first time, these podcasts focus on stress and stress-related issues. I'm sure you all can relate to that. And please remember to follow us at stress.org. And if you have a moment, send in those reviews and comments. I love hearing from you guys. So take a moment. And you know, speaking about stress, if you are stressed and you don't know where to start on your journey, just to feeling better, The American Institute of Stress has an easy, confidential online self-assessment tool. It's called the Stress Mastery Questionnaire, SMQ for short. You know, you can take a quick online self-assessment and receive personalized feedback on your stress risks. It comes in the form of an easy-to-follow, one-page personal stress profile. And that gets followed by a detailed nine-page stress report and also a 66-page stress mastery guide workbook. So, all you need to do is just go to stress.org, look for the stress mastery questionnaire or the SMQ, and make sure you take that. And, and you know what? Once you do take that, it's a very simple thing, and you find out what those stress risk scores are. Don't do nothing about it. We have a lot of courses that are available. Look into them, find, do something about your stress. The worst thing you could do is nothing. Today, we're going to be talking about the stress of accessing mental health treatment for families. I don't have to tell you, families are important. You know, they nurture us, they teach us, they protect us. They serve as our primary caregivers. Simply put, when families are strong and we thrive, and when families thrive, so do our communities, something in great need right now. When families face overwhelming stress, they sometimes need help. They need support when facing mental health issues as well as the physical effects of that long-term stress. These days, families can look very different also. They can include biological parents, of course, but also adoptive parents, foster parents, step-parents. I see a lot of grandparents raising their grandchildren. And of course, there are guardians that take care of children. Unfortunately, there can be many barriers to getting the help that these families need. Well, the first step in fixing these barriers is, well, is just learning what those obstacles are. And recently, our two guests today started a free and anonymous survey, which is online. It takes about 10 to 20 minutes to complete. The questions are a range of multiple choice and a Likert scale. The questions are adopted from the Barriers to Treatment Participation Scale developed by Alan Cadston and the Parental Needs Survey by Limerald Pollen. I hope I said that right. (laughs) The survey is in both English and Spanish, and they are recruiting participants through April 1st of 2021. So if you're listening, get a piece of paper out. We're going to talk about how you can get involved in it. And by completing this survey, participants will help to understand what prevents families from accessing mental health and care that children need. And so today we're going to be joined by two guests. Kim Hager and Maria Martinez Calderon. Uh, Kim Hager is a licensed independent clinical social worker with a master's in social work from Boston College. And currently, she works as a child and family therapist and supervisor at an outpatient clinic called Children's Friend. It's located in Massachusetts. In her 11 years there, she has worked with children with a range of mental health conditions, including anxiety, depression, ADHD, autism and learning disabilities, and mood disorders, all of which could be stress-related. She also continues to work with children with complex medical conditions. And many of the children and families that both Kim and Maria work with have experienced trauma, and a number of the children are in foster care or adopted. They are are both trained in trauma-focused cognitive behavior therapy and attachment regulation competency, uh, which are two evidence-based treatments models for children who have experienced trauma. And Maria Martinez Calderon is also a licensed mental health counselor with a master's in mental health counseling from Columbia University. She also currently works as a child adult and family therapist at the Children's Friend Clinic. Maria also works with teenagers and families that self-harm or have suicidal ideation. She is trained in dialectal behavioral therapy, which is an evidence-based model to help children who struggle with self-harm behaviors. And she conducts therapy in Spanish, English, French, and Italian, and is also trained in neurolinguistic programming and hypnotherapy. Kim, Maria, thank you both for, for joining us today. It's a very important topic, and, and I really appreciate you guys both being here.
2: Thank you for having us. We're happy to be here as well.
1: We were talking before, and I mentioned that I was an educator for 30 years. So I have a little bit of experience, not of course, as much as you guys do, but with some of the problems that families and children do, because a lot of times the first place they turn to is the school. You know we we are we are their other family. The schools are their other families. And uh, my wife is a teacher, and uh, we have have had to help many students. Really, the first thing I wanted to talk to you guys about is the study that both of you are conducting and involved in. First of all, tell us a little bit about what you are studying and how you got interested in how it all began.
2: Absolutely. So we're studying families' experiences in accessing mental health treatment for their children. We're looking specifically um, at children under the age of 18 and children can have mental health conditions, medical condition, or rare disease. We were particularly inspired to do this project because of some of the families we work with, with children who have both rare disease and mental health conditions. And those families were educating us about some increased stressors that they experience as a result of their children's rare disease or complex medical conditions in addition to the mental health conditions that they have and that they were sharing with us about some increased barriers to accessing services because of those increased stressors in their lives. So this really sparked our interest in looking more closely at access to mental health treatment for families.
1: Well, it's a, it's a very interesting study. Um, Kim, how did you get involved with it? I mean, um, how did you get involved with it? Kim just drag you in and say, hey, I need help.
0: So Kim and I have been discussing the different families that we had um, in different clinical settings. And uh, we both noticed the same thing that the both the families that we worked with had similar barriers. So we were kind of curious to see if there were differences or similarities compared to the families that only have mental health conditions, or have a mental health conditions and a medical conditions, versus the families that have children with medical condition, um, with rare diseases and mental health conditions.
1: Right. You know, I, I wanted to ask, uh, talk a little bit about the groups that you're focusing on in your studies. And it's funny that that you say that a lot of families who have medical conditions also have mental health conditions. We've, we've certainly at AIS have found that to be true. You know, they're, they're added stressors in your life. Sometimes it's just amazing that people can find a way to deal with these. Did you choose these groups or did they choose you because of their need? How did you, uh, why these particular groups? Why, why the, how did they come to you, to your interest?
0: I think it started out because we work with mental health conditions, so that was kind of our base, and then uh, we were curious to see if there were differences between um, medical conditions that are well-known, and there's a lot of research and, like, treatment, and even though it can have difficulties even with that, but at least it's well-known. You go to the doctor, and the doctor gives you a specific treatment, and then you keep going through the steps, and hopefully... um, the medical condition can be resolved or managed at least. Okay. And then with rare medical conditions, we noticed that uh, that was an added stressor in terms of like, there isn't that much research. Um, doctors don't always know what the best treatment is. And there were a lot of barriers. So we kind of figure like to keep the mental health condition as a base and then add the different um, steps after that.
1: Okay. Kim, did did you, do you find that people go to their, their regular physician and really aren't satisfied when they leave as far as the help they got? A lot of people have complained to me and it's been a discussion before that, you know, you go, you have a medical condition, you go to the doctor, your medical doctor who prescribes medicine that it's, to what they do. I mean, it's medicine is in their name. But as far as the mental health issue of it, sometimes they're at a loss.
2: Yes. And I think the experience can be varied, depending the doctor's background and how much they're looking at the connection between mental health and physical health.
1: Hmm. I, th- I think you're right. I think it is very, my doctor's a great guy. We most of the time sit there and talk about our kids. You know, I mentioned before that that you both work with people who suffer from anxiety and depression, ADHD, autism, learning disabilities, which I'm very familiar with, and mood disorder. Well, we have found connections between those things. Have you guys found a connection between stress and those mental health and physical health conditions?
2: Absolutely. I would say stress and mental health, physical health are all interconnected. We experience stress in our minds and in our bodies. And when stress becomes overwhelming and prolonged, especially in the case of some of our children we have seen who have experienced trauma that's ongoing, um, the risks for mental health problems and medical problems increase. And that long-term stress increases. Is the risk of anxiety, depression, substance use problems, sleep problems, pain, bodily complaints like muscle tension or headaches or stomach aches. So I think there's definitely a connection between that ongoing stress, whether it's traumatic or not traumatic, on our mental health and our physical health as well.
1: You hit on a couple of the uh, big ones. For us, we have a, a, you know, if you go on stress.org, we have the 50 top most common problems that or issues or health issues that stress can cause. And you'd be surprised how many times people talk about not being able to sleep. And that's comes up so often that, you know, and that's one of the worst ones to me, because, you know, the more you don't, the the more stress you increase, the more your stress increase, the less you can sleep and things like that. Um, Maria, one of the things I was interested in in that, because I have a friend who has an autistic um, son, and I was interested in that autism was included with all this. What has been your Have you had, first of all, experience with treating autistic children and their problems um, with stress and mental health or their families. Yes. Okay. I I was, I was surprised to find that listed in there, but I was happy to to see that because it gets overlooked a lot. We know that we mentioned a lot of the the issues, a lot of the problems that, that, that people have, but can a mental health treatment, Assist with really with lowering stress. There are, you know, there are many different stress management programs. No one is right for everyone. How does a family pick one? How do you how do you pick one stress management program over another? I get asked that all the time.
0: You're absolutely right. There are many services, and like they can be very overwhelming to figure out where to start from. I guess um, families can either look know a little bit what to look for in treatment, which can be like therapists would usually work with a person in different coping skills that they would teach the person, um, trying to teach them how to regulate their emotions as well as decreasing the negative thoughts that they may be having that are not very helpful, uh, processing different situations, relationships that may be causing stress, um, as well as um, brainstorming different ways of managing them. There are also alternative therapies that work really well with what we think more as a conventional mental health treatment, which can be acupuncture, yoga, Reiki, energy work. Those work really well in conjunction because uh, they tend to target the physical part of uh, stress. And then with uh, a more conventional treatment, you can also target more the emotions and the thoughts. So families can either look up um, different stress management programs or sometimes the pediatrician in the case of kids uh, can be helpful with referrals. The PCP um, or even the school counselor, a lot of the Mm times they have, or the adjustment counselor also has uh, different referrals of people they've worked with before as well.
1: Yeah, you know, I've heard a complaint that, you know, we don't know what to do. All the things you mentioned, yoga and acupuncture and things like that, we've done shows on that. Mm -hmm. You know, they they work so well. Um, We talk about meditation. We talk about breathing exercise. We talk about all those things. But at some point, if those things are not working, and especially with with parents, with children who have have medical conditions and just doing a breathing exercise, while it helps is not going to be enough. They're looking for a program and we don't know where to look. That's the, that's the complaint I got. I don't even know where to look. So your suggestion of talk to your doctor, look around, try different things is, I think it's spot on. I think that you're right. Families need to try different things. The most important thing is do something because sitting there and doing nothing and allowing stress to become just part of your life is not a good idea let me ask you let's go to your your study a little bit let's talk about your study a little bit you know I, I wanted to know because it was very interesting to me because there are obstacles I've heard them from people I I, I myself don't I hate going to the doctor because it's such a big pain in the butt. I mean, I, I know my wife keeps, you know, I, I was an athlete for so long. I've been hurt so many times. And I, you know, every time I get hurt, my wife says, well, you got to go to the doctor. I say, I hate going to the doctor. I'm only going to go to Rome. He's going to send me somewhere else so I can go back to him. And to... what have you guys found to be the biggest obstacles to families trying to get access to help and support?
2: Absolutely. I think that a lack of availability of services and long wait lists are very significant Mm. obstacles for families accessing mental health treatment for their kids. A lot of the children that we see, the families tell us they waited six months, sometimes a year just to get into therapy. Um, I think depending where you live, rural areas sometimes offer fewer services, which again limits the options for families. Insurance can also be a barrier. Our services are billed through insurance, but Sometimes it's harder to find a counselor who takes a specific type of insurance, and then copays can also be barriers for some families, depending what their financial circumstances are. And now we're also in the middle of a pandemic, and that's yeah, I
1: noticed. <laughs> a
2: digital barrier um, for services, as services are more limited. Um, we're doing a lot of telehealth services, so it's phone or video versus in-person, um, which for some families makes it easier, but also can be more challenging as far as reaching people and really engaging, especially with young children or children with developmental delays. Um, And many people's mental health has been impacted by the stress of the pandemic and these current circumstances. So at this point, the need for mental health treatment often outweighs the amount of providers available which leaves families really stuck as far as trying to access that mental health treatment that their children or themselves may need
1: you know so a lot of the obstacles have to do with you know i, I i've said this before if you ever really want to find the answer to what a problem is you follow that bouncing dollar sign and when it stops, you find your answer. A lot of it has to do with there's not enough practitioners. Um, they are being, they are overwhelmed themselves, but also insurance, co-pays, things like that. Not everyone can afford this. The people who can afford it least probably needs it the most. Uh, at least in my experience. So so those are very good points. Uh, Maria, you also do counseling, and I forget how many languages. <laughs> it's, it's, well, English, obviously, but Spanish and French and, Ita- and Italian? <laughs> so that's awesome. So you must see a different group of people, maybe, that, that have different obstacles. Is language part of the obstacles to, to getting mental health treatment?
0: Yes, language I found has been an incredible obstacle, because even though the kids a lot of the times are bilingual, the parents not don't always speak English. Yeah. Also, providers sometimes have said that they do speaking uh, speak Spanish, but then it's not quite as uh, advanced as the families would hope. And I found that that can really impact the relationships. There's a lot of families that have told me I've worked with another counselor, but I couldn't be understood. And it wasn't helpful. My child was translating um, and they ended up dropping out of services, even though they still needed them.
1: That's a really good point. You know, when the child has to translate, the parent probably has limits to what they're going to say. They may not freely discuss something in front of their child that you want to and and, you know Kim mentioned that telehealth is available I had a uh, psychologist and I've had psychiatrists actually say the same thing to me that this new telehealth way of providing services has obstacles because there are HIPAA regulations you don't know who's in the room so there are confidentiality things, and especially when you're involved with children and things like this. I don't know how you guys do it, to be honest with you. It's, it's overwhelming to me, and it's so needed that, I, you know, I really don't have an answer. I don't know how. I'm so happy that you guys are doing this survey. What does the project involve? And tell us how people can get involved and take the survey if you're listening, please write down how to get involved. So how do, how do people get involved? The survey is very important.
0: So the survey is free. It's online and it's anonymous. We are looking for caregivers of children with one or more children with mental health conditions, caregivers of children with mental health conditions and medical conditions, and um, caregivers of children with mental health conditions and rare diseases. We define caregivers as birth parents, foster parents, adoptive parents and guardians. Um, the children have to be under the age of 18. The survey is in both Spanish and English. Um, we have found a lot of questions in terms of what is the mental health condition. So that can be a developmental delay, families that have gone through trauma, Um, And then what we think more when we uh, think about mental health conditions such as anxiety, depression, um, and more of the mainstream um, uh, mental health conditions that we hear more often. Uh, Children need to be under the age of 18. And uh, the survey links can probably be found at the American Institute of Stress, where the podcast is going to be um, put, I would assume.
1: Um, and they're both in Spanish and English. Yeah, when when we uh, publish this podcast, uh, we'll put the link in the description so you can find it there. Just if you meet the qualifications and you have 10 to 20 minutes, take the survey. The very first thing to finding a way to resolve the problems, these obstacles for people to get help is to find out what they are and to find out what people are going through. And what is the timeline of this study? When do you think you'll be be concluded with it?
2: So we're recruiting participants through April 1st, 2021, and then we'll be analyzing the data um, sometime summer of 2021. Our Institutional Review Board at Seven Hills has approved our project um, through July 21st, 2021.
1: Okay. And what kind of data are you looking for? Are you just looking, excuse me, are you looking for the people to just tell you what those obstacles are, because they're going to be so varied. I mean, everyone is a personal experience. So how do you how do you put that into okay, here's obstacle number one. So
0: we've got uh, the barriers listed, it's a liquor scale, then we have multiple choice questions. Um, And then we also have an open ended question. So the barriers, since they are all like listed, there's a range of like uh, how much you agree or disagree. So we will organize that data and then study it. And the open-ended question um, will give us some more, like if we, fa- if we have forgotten any specific barriers or families can think of anything else that they wanna share with us,
2: that will also be categorized and then um, studied. And we're going to take that information from the barriers and specifically compare the three groups. So to look at, do families with children with mental health and rare disease experience more or less barriers compared to families with kids with mental health conditions and families with kids with mental health and more common medical conditions?
1: Yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, once you get the data... Once you gather all this data, what do you do with it? When an obstacle comes up and it's blaringly obvious, to me, the, the number one on the list is going to be money. How do you use that data to overcome that obstacle? Set up a nonprofit? I mean, how? You know, what do you do with the data once you have, have it? To me, this is just me, I would be so frustrated. My God, now I even know what the problem is and what do I do now? How about you guys? What do, what do we do?
0: So, thinking at a farther scale, hopefully, yes, the study can result into some action. So, either making potentially changes within our own organization, or maybe someone else can take it and use it as well. At the micro level, um, we're just trying to gather a bigger picture because, unfortunately, there is not a lot of research um, when it comes to the subject. Um, so that's already a needed point for for it to translate into action, into something physical that families can actually access later on and to translate into change.
1: Okay. well, you know, thank you both for first of all for doing this. Uh, I think it's uh, really important work. I think that you're picked quite a year to to gather information about stress and and problems and obstacles. I mean, obstacle number one, uh, the doctor can't hear me through my mask. You know, I I don't know um, how skewed the data will be because of of the COVID pandemic. But uh, I, I tend to think that the information you're going to get is the information that's going to happen is going to be true whether or not we're in a pandemic. It's going to be ongoing. And and, uh, and I want to thank you both for joining us today, Maria Kim. It's a great information for everyone listening. If you if you can do this survey, please do. We need the information. We need the data. It's the, it's the first step to solving what is a very big and important problem. Thank you both for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having us.
1: All right. Well, that's it for today. This has been your host, Will Heckman. I want to thank you all for joining us today. Please don't forget to follow this podcast and send in those reviews and comments. As I said before, remember it's your support that helps to keep making these podcasts possible and to listen to them. All you got to do is go to stress.org and and click on the uh, podcast link. And I want to remind everyone just as stress is different for each of us. There is no one stress reduction or management strategy that is right for everyone. So please join us next time as we explore more stress management strategies and insights. And remember, like I said, visit us, stress.org, become a member, gather information, get some tools and techniques to live a healthier and happier and a longer life. And I hope the information that you heard from today from both Maria and Kim and myself will help you to find contentment. So good day, everybody.